Praise God. Let's turn our Bibles today to Daniel, the sixth chapter, verse 15 through 22. I heard the other day that fasting was an act of works. It just deepened, deeply sawed my spirit that people would think that Jesus incorporated works into the bridegroom's life, to the bridegroom's life and told them that we should fast. I think Jesus would have been deeply wounded by such thinking. Daniel, the sixth chapter, verse 15 and 22. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Then, no, wait. I want to go to Daniel 6, 1 first. Daniel 6, 1. And it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120, I'm sorry, you're right, I'm sorry. I got two things going on in my mind, two Daniels. Go to uh, Daniel 6, 15, you're right, thank you. And then these men assembled unto the king. They said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no decree, no statute, which the king establish may ever be changed. Next verse. And then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Does anybody know why Daniel was cast there? Because he was faithful to honor the ways of God, his commitment to God, even though it would threaten his life. So he was faithful to the ways of the Lord. And he cast him into the lion's den. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought, laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet or his ring, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went into his palace, and he passed the night doing what? Fasting. It amazes me that even cultic, godless societies understand fasting and incorporate it much more freely and faithfully than many kingdom people. And then he says this, neither were instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. And the king rose up very early in the morning and he went in haste to the lions, to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. The king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel, and he has shut the lions' mouths that they might not hurt me. For so much as before him innocently was found in me when I was judged, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. 
Then was the king exceedingly glad for Daniel, and he commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no, and no manner of hurt was found in him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them, and they break all their bones in pieces, or ever had they came at the bottom of the den. In other words, in midair did they kill them. Now this is a story of a plot against a man of God just because he's different than other people. He's not against the king. He is for the king. Him and those, the eunuchs that have come up out of Israel were known for their servant and their obedience to the king. And so they were serving the king and they knew that the best way to serve the king was to give God his due place. And every business and every nation is always to be better off when believers commit to living by the ways of God. You don't have to worry about a Christian, or you should not have to worry about a Christian stealing shop towels from you. You shouldn't have to worry about a Christian taking 20-minute break on a 10-minute break. You shouldn't have to worry about the Christian cheating on his time clock or doing this or adding to his production list. He is a man of honesty and integrity. Now, while I'm saying that, realize this, that you can fast and use your faith all you want, but if you don't have a set order of the place of honesty and integrity in your life, nothing of faith will ever produce anything for your life because it's called in Jude a holy faith. Holy faith. Amen? And so here we see that angels on the behalf of Daniel. Daniel's being thrown in a lion's den, and then they seal it up so he don't have any place to sneak out. And these lions are loosed. Now, these lions are not fed. They're not maintained. They're used specifically to eat disobedient people. Their diet is disobedience. And so they loose these lions into Daniel. Daniel never lifts a finger to protect himself. But the king is fasting. And the king, even though he is an idolatrous king, a king that has plundered the temples of Israel and took out all of the gold and the silver and the vessels thereof, yet this man in his idolatrous state knows the power of a fullness of purpose and heart. And he fasts. Now, whether God seen him or whether he didn't, I believe that God did see. And I believe that on the behalf of Daniel, which I know Daniel fasted in that den. I know Daniel wasn't having a three-course meal. I know Daniel wasn't having pizza delivered in because nobody could get into him. So I know that Daniel was on a period of fast. And so I know this, that whenever angelic beings are given access to a believer's life, 
through fasting that they show up and deal with your enemies in a way that you could never deal with them. And that fasting some way allows the access to the almightiness of God to do for you what you can't do on your own. And then as we go to Daniel, the 10th chapter, let's go to Daniel 10.1. We're looking at Daniel, but we're seeing that people use fasting when they are at their wit's end. The king was up against a situation that he could not win, but he did believe in the God of Daniel. And he fasted that night. He put away pleasures. He didn't try to drive sleep from him he stayed before the Lord. And then it says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and that thing was true. But the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. Now in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. And I ate no pleasant bread. So now we understand that mourning, mourning is another word for fasting. The word mourning means to laminate. It means to cause to mourn as if the loss of something had been taken away. It means to groan inwardly. It's like a voice that cannot be distinguished or a voice that cannot be defined. Fasting is a voice and a language of the kingdom of God. It can be seen and it can be heard because God said when you do it in secret, he would reward you openly. So when God sees a man fasting, that act has a voice. And God is able to discern the voice and give the answer to the lamentation or the intercession made by the fast tea. And then it says this, Neither came flesh nor wine into my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Daniel, this is known as the 21-day fast, a partial fast, where Daniel probably ate pulse, and the word pulse simply means fruits and vegetables, and he ate them in a very limited form in order just to perform his duties for the kingdom and to allow God to be honored through his life. That's what he did. But he didn't eat pleasant bread or meat or drink wine. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hiddiki, I'm sorry, I had that all figured out. Yep, there you go. Thank you. And I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of cupaz. And his body was like the burl, and his face as the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as the lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like the color of polished brass, and the voice of his word like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me, with me saw no vision, but a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Now here we see Daniel telling us that he is seeking. What he's seeking is 
the revelations of the prophet Jeremiah. Daniel is one of the protégés of Jeremiah, as is Amos and uh, so many Esther. These are all side effects of the prophet of Jeremiah. And so Daniel is studying Jeremiah, and he sees the picture of Jeremiah's deliverance of Israel. Now he knows that it's supposed to come, and he knows what shadow and type that it's pointing to in the end times. And so Daniel is fasting. Now when he fasts, he opens up the doorways to the gifts of the Spirit. What does Daniel see? He sees a man. How do we see spiritual beings? We see them by the discerning of spirits. Amen? Remember Elijah when they were all camped about? Elisha was all camped about by the armies of the king and uh, his servant said, oh my word, they're going to kill us and all this. And Daniel said, uh, Elijah said, God opened up his eyes that he may see that there are more with us than be with them. And the Lord touched his eyes and he saw and behold, a great company of angels that was with Elijah outnumbered those that were against him. And so this is a discerning of spirits. This is the same thing that Jesus used to release the gifts of the Spirit after being filled with the Holy Ghost and to return in the power or the demonstration or the witness of the Holy Ghost and the gifts. And we see that now being portrayed in Daniel. So fasting releases the gifts in a situation. Also, we begin to see in this situation that it creates the opportunity for a visitation. You know, there are many things that the Lord wants to say to us, but he can't say them because of the multiplicity and the loudness of the voice of the flesh, the voice of the world, the voice of our sight, the voices of our senses, and even the voice of our own desires. But we do read in Acts, the 13th chapter, that when the teachers and the apostles and prophets fasted, that they heard from God. And if we want to have a visitation, whether it's a visitation of refreshing, a visitation of direction, you know, Ezra, in Ezra, the 8th chapter, verse 21, Ezra fasted for three things. He said, you know, I needed, I proclaimed a solemn assembly that the people would fast and that they would fast for three things because I was ashamed to go to the king and say, can you do for me what my God cannot do? Ezra said, I was ashamed to go to the king and ask such help. So I proclaimed a fast, and he said, we're going to fast. And first of all, we're going to fast for direction. How many of us are looking for ways out of things, how to deal with things, which way to go, what to say, how to deal with it? But we're looking in all the wrong places. There is but one place, and that is the counsel of the Lord. Amen? In the counsel of the Lord. And so we can fast for direction. We can fast for our eyes to be open. We can fast for our understanding to be sharp. We can fast that we can see 
the ways of right. There is a right way of doing things and a wrong way of doing things. Go to get an amen. You know, some of us are struggling with family. What am I supposed to do with my child? I'll do this, I'll do Well, tough love does this. Yeah, but I want to be merciful. Well, you know what? You've got one child. You've got one lifetime. You need to involve God in the way that it'll go. Amen? Now, I understand that we're smart, and we got Dr. Phil, Dr. Spock, Jerry Springer. Praise God, we got them all. I think there's a new one on TV, Steve or whatever. We've all got places that we want to go and run to a place to get resolved. But only God can bring you to a peaceable end. Why would we risk our children when we have a sure thing? So we can get direction from God. A lot of the people that we're ministering to and, and preaching to and trying to share Jesus with is not a problem with what we're saying. It's just maybe the way we're saying it. We need direction. And then Ezra said, and I fasted for our little ones. He fasted for his family, for his children. Now, I know that our children run into so many things in this world. I'm telling you, I'm so glad that I'm not a child. I'm so glad that mine is raised up, already been beat up, sent out, and came home pretty well. But I would not dare think that my child or your child could come out the way mine did without God's help. Absolutely not. I'm telling you, Phyllis made more mistakes raising Nikki than 10 families could. And if it hadn't been for my preciseness of loving her and caring for her and nurturing her, God knows what she would be like. I would never presume that I could do a better job than you could in your shoes because your children are unique and they've been given to you they've not been given to me against my better judgment I'm kidding you God before the foundation of the earth knew everything that your child would be going through every snare every trip every curve every road every ditch every prison every bondage every addiction he knew and he waited out, and he chose one family to put that child in. That's yours. There is nobody better equipped than you to raise your child and present them to God at the days of the end of their life. And that you loose that arrow to hit the target of God. Nobody. But you need God's help. Ezra prayed for his little ones. And I'm sure that the rumors of we're not going to make it, the army's going to attack us, we're going to get taken over, we're all going to be slaves and servants again, and, and uh, our daughter's going to be used as, as harlots and prostitutes. I'm sure they heard all that. But Ezra fasted, and I believe that his children were not affected by the fear of what they faced in their journey of life. Then 
He said that we fasted for our substance. Do you know that you can fast for financial increase? There's a reason that when you sow a seed that your harvest hasn't come. We serve a faithful God. But if we were all honest, as I, as I will be, I've sown lots of seeds that I've never seen the harvest for. Oh, but God gave them to you somewhat. Listen, I didn't sow mercy, I sowed money. You, whatever you sow, you reap. Well, I sowed love and God gave me a car. No. He'll give you love. You can't get what you don't sow. That's why God gives seed to the sower. You have, a, you have a seed of love, compassion, mercy, understanding. You can sow them anytime you want. But when you need money, you need to sow money. Now, there's a reason why people don't see their harvest. It's not God. It is the same devil that Daniel is fighting in Daniel, the 10th chapter. Because as soon as a man sows a seed, God has declared that he will owe no man anything. So God immediately declares harvest on the sowing of your seed. The devil, now the battle is not between God and you. There never has been a, a battle. Now the battle is between you and the devil. Could I get an amen? Amen. Daniel realized that when he set into fasting that God was not the problem or God never would have gave him the direction to fast. Daniel knew that fasting was an act of active resistance against the enemy's plans towards him and towards his. And when you fast, it is an act of resistance. You refuse to allow the devil to have his way. Could I get an amen? It is, absolutely. It is an act of resistance. It is really kind of an act or a statement of ongoing faith while you are settled down and waiting for the Lord. It is an act of faith that demands that you be still and you let God be God. Be still. Stop your activity. Set fasting in motion. Release faith towards heaven, and a faithful God will respond. And so it's an act of resistance. And it reveals to us that we can bring our senses down to the place that we can hear what God really wants to say to us. Now, people would say, but this is foolishness. I understand that. But it's not to God. You might think that it's foolish, but it's not foolish. We need the voices of God in our lives and in our pulpits and in our ministries. The Bible says, Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's been put in thee by prophecy. One of the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm sure that when Paul experienced the voice of prophecy coming towards him and Barnabas that when he called the presbytery together to lay hands on Timothy he said Timothy we need to hear the voice of God concerning you 
because we don't know it all. And I believe that God spoke to Timothy prophetically. And then as they were fasting, they laid hands on Timothy and imparted gifts, gifts that were recognizable by other men of God. And I'm telling you, folks, fasting is a key to our life with God. Fasting is something that releases God to do what God is waiting to do. We find that in 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, where Jehoshaphat called a, a fast. And then down in verse 20, it says, where God spoke to him, gave him a prophetic word. It released the Holy Ghost upon a man's life to speak to a nation. And out of that, they gained such an infusion of faith that they never believed that their enemies could prevail and they marched out on a battlefield praising God. This is not a worship service. This is a battle. It all came about by releasing God to fight their fight. Are you and I allowing God to fight our battles or are we trying to do them ourselves? Go to Psalms 35 and verse 13. Hallelujah. Psalms 35 and verse 13. But as for me, when they, my enemies, were sick, my clothing and sackcloth, my clothing was sackcloth, I humbled my soul with what? With what? With what? and my prayer return into my own bosom. Do you know that fasting is an act of humbling yourself and allowing God to fight the battle? It's up to you. We can be prideful or we can let God do it. How many think we all let God do it? Yes. Fasting is an active use of faith to resist the devil and his kingdom and its hindrances and to allow us to fulfill God's purpose by his strength and not our own. Fasting is an act of surrendering all or abandoning yourself to God's will for your life in a situation. Wow. What a powerful, powerful thing. Hallelujah. Let's, uh, oh, wow. I don't, okay. I, I, yeah. Let's go to Nehemiah 9.1. Realize lo lots of these are in my personal battle books. Things that I recognize are enemies of my walk with God. Now, in the 20 and 4 days of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with what? With what? Well, you guys, that's like a cuss word. It's not a cuss word. You, you, you can say it. Now, they were assembled with what? And with sackcloth and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place 
and read in the book of the Lord, the law of the Lord, their God, one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord, their God. And they stood up and they stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, the Jebusites, now, what caused Israel to sin? Anybody know? Rebellion. Rebellion. Where does rebellion start? In the soul of man. In the soul of man. When he makes his own decision to do what he thinks is right, sin is born. Right? How do you deal with a rebellious soul? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm getting to that. Let's go to Psalm 69, 6 through 14. Psalm 69, 6 through 14. Now I'm going to show you something, and this will help you if you'll just simply take it like the Bible is saying. Now remember that David said in Psalm 35, we're going to look at it in a little more, that he humbled himself. Somebody say humbled himself. All right. And then David said, Let not them that wait on thee, O Lord of hosts, be ashamed for my sake. Let not those that seek thee be confounded for my sake, O God of Israel. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach and shame has covered my faith. Not for David's sins, for God's sake, for bearing his name, living his ways. Next verse. And it says, I became a stranger unto my brethren and an alien unto my mother's children. In other words, when David started living contrary to what they thought was right and acceptable, they alienated him from them. And then it says, For the zeal of thine house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach me are fallen upon me. When I wept and chastened my... With what? That was to my reproach. When I wept and chastened my soul. Why is David chastening his soul? You remember that David would speak to himself, Soul, why are thou cast down? Why don't you yet praise the Lord? You know that your soul can become rebellious against the things of God. Now, I didn't say that statement. Last verse. When I wept and chastened God's soul, somebody else's soul. In other words, you're responsible for every decision and every movement that your body makes. And it's based upon the way your spirit through the Holy Ghost governs your soul. Yeah, I chastened. That word chastened, whoo, it means I rebuked my soul. I restrained it 
from doing what it wanted to do. I subdued it or I squashed its uprising against God. I didn't write that verse. I didn't make the meaning of that word. But David squashed his soul's rebellion against God's rule in his life. Let's go on a couple more verses. Next verse. I made sackcloth also my garment, and I became a proverb to them, that they that sit in the gate speak against me, and I was the song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee, O God, in an acceptable time, God, in the multitude of thy mercies, hear me in the truth of thy salvation. Deliver me out of the mire and let me not sink. Let me be delivered from them that hate me out of the deep waters. David was in a battle. He needed his soul to surrender to the directives of God. And his soul said, no, I'm afraid. No, no, it, it won't work. No, think about other people. No, think. David said, you will not lead this rebellion. I'll bring you under the chastisement of my will that I will choose God over you. Now, David chastened his soul. So that tells me that your soul can be rebellious even though you know the will of God. Whew. All right. Now let's go to Psalms 35, verse 10 through 14. Now we quickly looked at that, but let's see what it means here. Psalms 35, 10. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him, yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up. They laid on my charges things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. Whoa, back up. To the spoiling, do you realize that when people do things against you and talk about you, that they are polluting your soul and causing it to become rebellious? Moving right along. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing and sackcloth, I humbled my soul with fasting and prayer. Well, that word humble there is a tongue biter. It means to force my soul to be under submission of God. It means to weaken its influence over my will. It means to cause or to make oneself have compassion towards another. Now, David is looking at people that have come against him, that are speaking to him, speaking against him. But David knows that it's wrong to return evil for evil. But his soul says, look, you're justified. You can do this. Everybody will accept what you're doing. You're right. You got a reason, man. Hallelujah. Go for it. David says, stop it. That is not the way of the righteous. 
Therefore, when they are down, I will humble myself to be conducive to God's word towards my enemies. Are you having a hard time forgiving somebody? Do you keep remembering why you have a right to talk about them, bringing up all the time, you know, constantly infest yourself and reinfest yourself and drink out of the same old dirty glass that you drank out of when you had the flu and when you had rabies and when you had the slobbers and, and you just keep reinfesting yourself over and over and over. Never washing your hands after you get up and touch all of the spoons you've been sucking the snake oil out of. No. How do you do that? Get a hold of your soul. Your spirit is not the problem. Your spirit is born again in the image of Jesus Christ. Your soul is a problem. So here it says, you by force, take hold of it. And you bring it down and say, you're going to do what's right. Did I get to verse 14? Okay, let's go. Let's go back. And get, oh, let's go. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into my own bosom. In other words, it didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything, but I was moving in the land of faith through fasting. I beheld, I behaved myself. What's this? I behaved myself. How did he behave himself? Because he forced his soul to stop its rebellious thinking. I behaved myself as he had been my friend or my brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. In other words, David was touched by compassion because he took control of his soul. Okay, one more. I think I better... I've got several pages here, but I think I better Ryan, wrap up. Psalms 109, verse 20 through 27. Why would David fight with his soul so much? Remember, he is a man after God's own heart. And it says, let this be the reward of mine adversaries for the Lord of them that speak evil against my soul. But do thou for me, God, O God, the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good, deliver thou me. For I am poor, I'm needy, my heart is wounded within me. Wounded within me. When it talks about that heart, it talks about his soul. And it says, I have gone like the shadow when it declineth, I am tossed up and down like the locusts. My knees are weak through... Come on, what is that word? Fasting. And my flesh faileth of fatness. Now David is dealing with the voices of his flesh. Wow. Notice what he does. He weakens his flesh on purpose. I became also a reproach unto them 
when they looked up on me, they shaked their heads. Help me, O Lord my God, save me according to thy mercies, that they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, hath done it. Silence the rebellious soul. Weaken the dominating outward man. That when you deal with things of God, that the world may see that God's hand is on your behalf. We want to make Jesus famous. We want people to know that I'm poor and I'm needy but God is on my side. Amen? That God is on my side and all that I have and all that is going on, it is the Lord and it is not the strength of man nor the favor of man nor the fame of man, the might nor the wealth of man. It is God. Amen? Let's deal with our souls. And let's deal with our outward man and weaken him, his knees, so that quickly he can fall on them and trust God. Amen. Fasting. For all of those that think it's works, it's not. Men after God's own heart used it to become who they needed to be to their enemies, to God and to their battles. Works only to the misunderstanding, only to the foolish mind of man, but not to the mind of God and his people. Amen? Hallelujah. Somebody say Thursday. Thursday we're going to fast. We're going to do a 24-hour period. You, you know, if you need to take something and eat, then you take it and eat it. Not to squelch your hunger, but to take your medication or whatever you, whatever you need to do. We're going to fast 24 hours for the presence of God to come in here greater than it's ever inhabited any structure in the history of mankind. God has never been explored, nor has he been experienced in its fullness yet. So let's endeavor to know him, to experience him like no other body of believers has. Now they may call me foolish. They, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. All I know is what I read in the Bible. And it's real simple. A child can understand. I caught it. And we are catching it. And we're going to give God access. Angels can come into our congregations. They can come into our assembly and into our homes and into our lives. Because we are a people of fasting and purity before our God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, God, that you are stirring us. Thank you, God, that you are challenging us. Come. Come into places, God, where... Ordinary men are afraid to come. But God, we receive the invitation. God, help us 
to be men and women of fasting. God, help us to move into the arena of the extreme. Help us, God, that we will move into the arena, God, where you desire for us to be. Break forth upon us, God. Shed forth your glory. Change us as we've never been changed. And God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and 